Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Tonight we're bringing you another fantastic show with the legendary Dr. Sala. But before we get to the show, I would like to introduce a couple of our sponsors. I would like to recognize the late, great Dr. Zelenko. He uh, really saved a lot of lives in the time of a pandemic. And if you go to zstack.com, he has created some great immune boosters. Uh, he has Z-Stack and he has Z-Stack Detox. So if you go to zstack.com and use promo code CPN, you'll receive 5% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to recognize Mike Lindell and MyPillow.com, a guy that's really putting his name out there and putting his safety out there and investing a lot of his money into fighting for our freedoms. And if you go to MyPillow.com, uh, as we've seen so many different big entities censor him and kick his product out of their businesses, the Patriots, we support Patriots. And if you go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CPNN, you'll get up to 66% off your purchase. And now I would like to start the show and bring on Dr. Michael Sala. Dr. Michael Sala, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to addressing some of these topics and answering questions about what is happening today in the world of exopolitics. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to give you a list of topics and then I'm going to give you the floor and then we can go into Q&A once you're finished. So I would like to ask you with, you know, all your interviews and your investigations of what we see where we're at today. And we all heard the news of the queen passing yesterday and there's a lot of noise out there. I would like to know your, what do you, how do you see what's going on as of now? with um, exopolitics and actually human politics. And I would like to ask you if you can go into with some of your general knowledge from your investigation and interviews on the Secret Space Program, Time Travel, and Maria Orzen. Okay, well, that's uh, quite a collection of topics there. Now, when it comes to what is the state of exopolitics today, I mean, we need to understand that there's been a concerted push within the United States at the, at the very least to really raise the profile of UFOs. Now they call them uh, UAPs, Unacknowledged Aerial Phenomenon or uh, air, uh, Unacknowledged Aerial Undersea Phenomena. Uh, they have widened the naming mechanism to include underwater UFOs as well. And they've done this for a reason. What they're wanting to do after many decades of ridiculing the UFO topic, there's been an, uh, an about face in, in how this topic is now going to be treated in official networks. It is now going to be treated as a serious topic. It's going to be treated as a topic with important national security concerns, which is the exact opposite of what has been happening uh, up until uh, 2017, in 2017, you had the New York Times running a story about UAPs that had been sighted by Navy pilots going back to 2004 and then 2014, making it a, a important issue that had national security implications. Before 2017, UFOs were dismissed 
as a joke, that these were things that were not taken seriously, that these were things that any serious scholar, um, any kind of national security official, any military official started talking about UAPs, then they would be ridiculed. And if they persisted, they would be dismissed from their position. And that, that actually did happen to me professionally. So I speak first from first-hand experience in that regard. But in 2017, you have this sea change where all of a sudden now UFOs are recognised with import, as an important topic concerning national security. And that has continued to grow. You, now you've had uh, Congress holding hearings. Congress has also passed legislation mandating the creation of a UAP office. And the, the goal is to look at UAPs as a national security threat and to get the legacy media, mainstream media, to kind of fall in line. So what they're doing is really, after many decades, going all the way back to the 1940s, dismissing UFOs as a joke, now all of a sudden they're getting people to accept UFOs as a national security concern and trying to get people prepared for some kind of contingency in the future involving UFOs. So what we are seeing now is a slow build-up to some kind of an event concerning UFOs where they're going to be presented as a national security threat. And there is technology that the secret government has, that the different intelligence agencies has, uh, as well as uh, some military departments have some really impressive technologies where they could create holographic simulations of UFOs or they could use real UFOs. I mean, they, these are reverse engineered craft that the different military services have, that the intelligence community has, and just roll these out at, at any time and have them operate in some kind of program with a particular focus. So if the goal is to convince the general public, when we're talking about the world or the or America, that the United States is under attack from UFOs and that you know, there needs to be uh, a state of emergency declared and that under that state of emergency, uh, you have a wartime contingency where the United States, the continental United States, for the first time in its history, is under attack. And so you would have simulated UFOs, you would have holographic technologies, you would have um, directed energy weapons, you would have things like EMPs all being unveiled in ways that to, to signify some kind of alien attack. And that would be a very convenient way to really curb people's civil liberties, declare a state of emergency where you have curfews, where things like elections can be delayed or even cancelled. So there is some speculation, and I think this is something that needs to be taken seriously, that with the upcoming November elections, that what we're seeing now is a slow ramp up to some kind of false flag attack 
involving UAPs that the public is, is being conditioned into believing form some national security threat. So when and if this kind of attack is unveiled, I mean, we're talking about a false flag attack, so it wouldn't be a real attack by extraterrestrials in spacecraft. It would be using these different technologies and these aerospace vehicles that have been reverse engineered uh, by various intelligence agencies, corporations, and, and whatever military departments are on board with that. And they would unveil that and they would essentially convince the public that this is something that is happening now. And where that goes from there is anyone's guess uh, because that would just be the first stage. I mean, well, if you look at it in terms of different levels or different stages, you know, the first stage would be to convince the public that UFOs are a national security threat, yeah, that people know that these things are real, they exist, and they're national security threats, and the military is very concerned about it. Then you would have um, some kind of attack. It, it doesn't need to be... Uh, a really kind of like full-on War of the Worlds type attack. It could be just some kind of uh, very limited attack that could then be used as a basis for saying we are being attacked by these UFOs which are presumably off-world or some other kind of unknown agency, whether it's an underwater agency or whatever. It, it could be presented in a, in a very mysterious way as something that is unknown but yet a very serious national security threat. threat. And so they simulate very limited attacks on the continental US or on warships or aircraft and, and, that, and that way they could then use the legacy media to make out that the, that the United States is under attack. And then they could kind of blow that out of all proportion. You know, just look, just look at uh, the January six event. I mean, you had like anywhere from a million to two million people in a peaceful protest, but you had probably several hundred who were kind of goaded or fooled into entering into Congress. And so you then, so then the legacy media was able to paint the whole January six event as a violent insurrection, even though you had like more than a million people peacefully protesting and you maybe had at most a couple of hundred people entering into the Congress, many of those kind of uh, uh, infiltrators, fifth columnists, uh, that, that that was contrived. But still, you're talking about a tiny percentage of a million people involved in what happened at the Congress, but yet you have the whole movement, that that event, characterised as an insurrection. So I think they would do something similar with this. So you, you have the UFO phenomenon today, which involves, I believe, and many others, involves many different extraterrestrial visitors to our world that are peaceful, that are here to kind of introduce themselves, that are here to raise consciousness, that are here to prepare humanity for this incredible future that lies ahead of us once the truth about extraterrestrial life is revealed and these advanced technologies that have been withheld for, for many, many decades and only developed in these classified programs. So the broad exopolitical situation is that we are surrounded by largely 
benevolent extraterrestrials that that want to reveal themselves and share their knowledge and technologies. So that's the kind of wider reality of what's going on. But you have a small percentage of uh, there are some ETs that that are negative, that have agreements with intelligence agencies, with corporations, and uh, you you have this deep state that wants to promote fear and wants to manipulate public opinion to achieve their agenda. So what they want to do is to demonize this whole UFO phenomenon, get people to view UFOs as this kind of national security threat so that when they're ready, they can use their technologies, their reverse engineered craft to simulate some kind of very limited attack, but then characterize the the overall broad field of UFOs, uh, reverse engineered, the, the UFO phenomenon and extraterrestrial visitation, characterize that as this kind of like an attack against the United States or against the world and and use the mainstream media to just kind of like blow that out of all proportion, just as they did with the January 6th, blew out of all proportion, you know, that element, which was uh, a kind of false flag, uh, a kind of contrived attack on the on the Congress to characterize the entire movement in that way. So I think that's that's the kind of ultimate game plan here. And the deep state's been very successful in using the mainstream media to, to push their narrative. So I think they have the means, they have the opportunity to pull this off. Now, one of the things that has that has kind of held back the disclosure of extraterrestrial life is that there has been this kind of struggle between those within the system that want to maintain the secrecy indefinitely, uh, the deep state, you want to, we can call them that, the deep state. Uh, then you have those within the system that are much more open to revealing some of the truth, that we're being visited, that some of these extraterrestrials are friendly and that we need to make a group, that we can kind of reveal some of their, their technologies and, and take us into a Star Trek future. So there's some white hats that want to do that. But for decades now, there's been a, a, a kind of, uh, a struggle, a tug of war between the White Hats and the Deep State over how much and when to release it. And, and the compromise has been that they will allow whistleblowers and insiders to come forward or contactees to come forward, but they will scrub any kind of official documentation validating those testimonies, validating the things that these people say. So this has been the compromise. But now... What, what we have is a situation where uh, our, our planet has is now approaching a kind of tipping point, and it has to do with where we are in our solar system, where it is in terms of the galaxy, the the amount of cosmic rays that are coming in, affecting the, the, the sun and the solar activity on the sun and affecting the Earth's magnetosphere, and that this is impacting human consciousness. So things are speeding up. And so this kind of tug of war between those that want to keep the secrecy indefinitely and those that want to reveal what's going on, that's about to change in a significant way. 
and and the, the one of the big kind of like weights on this whole disclosure movement was that uh, the the deep state wanted to maintain the status quo because they they kind of felt that once you start opening once you start disclosing what's going what's what's happening or what has happened concerning extraterrestrial life and ufos the truth behind it it's like opening up pandora's box and once it's open you can't close it so they've been waiting they've been waiting for a time when pandora's box can be opened and and then you just go for it and and you go forward whatever the, whatever the agenda is you know whether they go forward with a false flag attack whether they go for some kind of alien salvation event or an alien rescue or whether they go for some kind of a genuine disclosure uh, that is now going to be made possible i think because there's been a world event that has had a profound impact on global consciousness now this takes me to the death of uh, queen elizabeth now queen elizabeth represents the status quo she represented that thinking that things are things are okay at the moment that once you open pandora's box you know the law of unintended consequences comes in you don't know what's going to happen you can't control it but right now things are controllable uh, so let's keep the status quo so she kind of represented that kind of thinking and i think her passing now takes us into a new era and i don't think it's accidental that her son charles kept the name charles to become king charles the 3rd now uh, the, the first king charles uh, was beheaded uh, as a result of the english revolution uh, oliver cromwell and 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 so the Engl england became a republic for about 10 years and that was in the 1600s so england became a republic king charles the first was beheaded and then after that republic and cromwell dies uh, the republic is now over then king charles's son king charles the second comes to power and he ushers in a constitutional monarchy because king charles the first insisted on an absolute monarchy all power had to be vested in the king in the person of the king and parliament kind of like served at the pleasure of the king well that was made redundant by the first english revolution and then they have uh the the, the, the uh, what they call the, the glorious revolution where england now became a constitutional republic and so sovereignty rests well sovereignty is divided between the king and the british parliament so that was the second revolution and that was king charles the second and there hasn't been any charles since then so now you have king charles the third because i think what he signifies him coming to power becoming king is that there's going to be a revolution uh this is inevitable and the, the revolution is going to open the doors to some really profound changes uh in the financial arena in the political arena the religious arena in the scientific and a lot of that is going to have a lot to do with the ufo extraterrestrial phenomenon because this is going to be unveiled and it'll take 
people into a new era. Now, in the United States, the British monarch isn't such a big deal, but in countries, in, in Commonwealth countries uh, such as Australia, I, I come from Australia, I mean, it is a big deal. Uh, the, 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 the head of state is the, the monarch. So now, uh, Australia, we now, uh, we're a constitutional monarchy and, uh, and now we actually have a king. And so people's thought patterns are being changed because people uh, haven't had a king for 70 years. So this is, for many people, the first time that their monarch is the king. And and that and the energy shifts as well. There's a there's a qualitative difference. I mean, the, the queen represented someone that was very passive uh, in terms of not being political in any way, and just kind of keeping out of the political system and allowing uh, the British monarchy, or so say, allowing the, the British Parliament to make the laws and enact them. And 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 the, and the queen would up kind of like operate behind the scenes. Well, well, Charles is much more outspoken and it's expected that he'll play more of a, of a role in the political arena. So I, I think, and because what we are going to now, what we are witnessing now um, in places like England, in Europe, and uh, lesser extent the United States, you know, are these uh, gas shortages and food shortages. And these are going to precipitate uh price increases, and a lot of people's wages will not be able to cover that. So that's going to lead to social unrest, massive social unrest, and people are going to look for scapegoats. And so they're going to blame the parliaments or the uh, the, um, the the political class for doing bringing about this, hor- this horrendous situation. And, of course, that has a lot to do with Russia and Ukraine because Ukraine and Russia, uh, you know, that has been a conflict that has been prepared by the deep state uh, since at least 2014. And, and it was set up as a friction point where you, you, would, you would be able to manipulate a, a conflict with Russia. And ultimately, that would lead to a situation like we're seeing now where uh, the European Union, uh, NATO are sanctioning Russia, and Russia is retaliating. And, and thank goodness it's just economic sanctions at the moment, and that it's not NATO militarily intervening, although NATO is arming the Ukrainians, because this the Ukrainian war is a contrived war. And I think it's being contrived by the deep state uh, because they they have an agenda uh, to kind of like bring about a cataclysmic set of circumstances around the globe and that would and that would happen if you create an overt conflict between NATO and the Russian Federation or the United States and China. So they're trying to do that now in Ukraine. Uh, they aren't succeeding. And the reason that they're not succeeding is that uh, Putin and the Russians have been very careful in, in in not escalating the conflict beyond just targeting uh, Ukrainian military forces and uh, supply depots in Ukraine. Because by rights, 
what's happening is that NATO is conducting a hybrid war on Russia. And so Russia, under the laws of war, could respond. If they if Russia declared a state of war against in, involving Ukraine, then they could start attacking countries that are supplying the Ukraine. So, so Putin and Russia are keeping it all very circumspect. Now, one of the things that I think is is helpful in understanding what is driving the Ukrainian conflict is that there is an exopolitical factor in Ukraine, and that is that in an area just outside the city of Kherson, it's called Oleshki Sands National Park, there is a space ark that is buried there, and that's been there for many thousands of years, and that this was something that was discovered only recently, and that was because it began activating, and it began activating because there has been an incursion of very large fleets of spacecraft that have come into our solar system at this time to observe events on Earth because the galactics know that our planet is about to go through an incredible transition. And so they are here to observe that and to assist and to actually accelerate that. And one of the ways that they're accelerating that is by them arriving in our solar system, they are activating these space arcs that have been hidden on Earth for many thousands of years. So this uh, space arc in Ukraine, in this area of just near the city of Kherson, that began activating last year. And so it was discovered that there was a space arc there in Oleshki Sands. Well, up until recently, Oleshki Sands National Park was under the jurisdiction of Ukraine and the United States military could send its special forces there. So in February, which is only four months after these space fleets arrived in our solar system, activating these space arcs, Russia launched this special military operation against Ukraine. And of course, people look at what it was that sparked that Russian invasion and they talk about, well, you know, the Ukrainians were about to attack uh, the Donbass region. Uh, the, the US had these biolabs spread throughout Ukraine that they were going to use to generate some kind of bioweapon against, against Russia. And other explanations such as underground facilities where children were being held and, and and that this was a big source of revenue for the deep state. You know, all of those factors are significant, uh, but the one that a lot of people didn't look at because exopolitics is not something that's kind of on the radar of, of a lot of those operating in the Patriot networks is that there was this space arc that was discovered as a result of it activating and so the Russians wanted to get control. They did not want this to fall under the control of NATO or the US. And so that's one of the major justifications for this special military operation in February of this year. And it's very significant that 
the very first city that was taken by the Russians, virtually unopposed, was Kherson, Kherson city. So that was the first city they they overran. No other major city had fallen uh, to to the Russians, and even though they've been trying uh, for some time now, they haven't liberated or they haven't taken over any major cities apart from Kherson. Now, the fact that they have taken over Kherson meant that the US really wanted the Ukrainians to take it back, which is why NATO and the US pushed Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, to launch this this counteroffensive to retake Kherson. And they poured a lot of troops there, which strategically it made no sense. You know, the military, military strategists looking at this Kherson counteroffensive is saying, well, this makes no sense. Uh, a lot of troops are being killed. A lot of resources are being destroyed uh, by the Russian artillery as a result of this counteroffensive because the Russians enjoy an overwhelming uh, artillery uh, strength and also have superior air power. So this counteroffensive across the Russian, across the Ukrainian steppes is just exposing Ukrainian troops to Russian, uh, Russian aircraft and artillery and they're just being massacred. But that reason for them doing this is because they were being commanded. This was the deal that the Ukrainians would be given a lot of money and they were being told you have to recapture Kherson because there's this space out there. So that's the exopolitical situation uh, concerning Ukraine. And, and of course, now this is all impacting on Europe because uh, Ukrainians uh, have, have succeeded in getting the Europeans to increase the level of sanctions on Russia. Now you have the now you have a um, uh, the, the gas shortages that are coming about because Russia has cut uh, the uh, Nord Stream gas flow uh, to Northern Europe. Uh, I think they're keeping the the southern gas flow uh, through uh, Turkey and into Hungary, uh, but they're doing that. Because they know that this this is going to weaken the Europeans, and that the, the, these fuel shortages are going to lead to um, an economic collapse and widespread riots and revolt in the European mainland and, of course, in Britain itself. So we are we are going to witness some really major events in Europe. And in the United Kingdom, and so I think that the the passing of the Queen and Charles coming to power kind of fits perfectly with this scenario that we are going to be in this what remains of 2022 and early 2023. We're going to witness a revolution, uh, the likes of which we haven't seen since the uh, since the Napoleonic revolutions, because that 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 went right across Europe and had ramifications across the world. And, and so we're going to see something similar happening now. So I think the passing of the Queen is, is a catalyst for all of this to kind of unfold. Uh, the UFO phenomenon, uh, UAPs, is going to be uh, an aspect 
of, of how the deep state can hope to hang on to power by manipulating the public into believing we're under attack. And so that's why uh, a new round of lockdowns are warranted, why civil liberties have to be curtailed, why only certain narratives are going to be allowed on, on, on the media. And, and so we are going to be witnessing some incredible events in, in the months ahead. Now, I think one of the other topics that you mentioned that you wanted me to kind of reflect on was uh, Maria Osic. While Maria Osic uh, is an extraterrestrial, she was also a starseed. Now, you know, whether she was actually born as a human or just dropped off or did a walk-in as an extraterrestrial, that's not clear. But I think what's emerged from my sources is that Maria Orsic was an extraterrestrial who was born or did a walk-in or operated in Germany in the early 1900s, in the 1920s, during the Weimar Republic, to help open the world up to these advanced technologies that the extraterrestrials wanted to share. And the deep state didn't want that. So they engineered the collapse of the Weimar Republic that Maria Osic operated throughout the Weimar Republic and tried to have some of these advanced technologies released into the public arena. They were blocked by the deep state, and the deep state arranged for Hitler to come to power. The deep state sponsored Hitler's rise to power. And when Hitler came to power, then he co-opted all of the work that Maria Osic and her rural society had done on developing these advanced technologies and spacecraft co-opted all of that into a Nazi SS-run program, and that was all then siphoned off into Antarctica to, to set up the Fourth Reich in the event of Germany losing the the, sec the Second World War, which they they knew that they were going to lose. Or those that had advanced technologies in the German uh, in the German hierarchy, they knew that Germany was going to lose, so they began moving a lot of resources early in the Second World War to Antarctica, to South America, because they realised that uh, at the end of the day, the United States was not going to be defeated. It was just military. Uh, the United States' industrial capacity was so much greater than what Germany or Japan combined could do. And so they knew the war was, was going to be lost, and so they set up this breakaway society in Antarctica and South America that could then infiltrate the United States, that the United States could not be de uh, defeated in a direct military confrontation, but it could be defeated through stealth, through infiltration, and through working with secret societies and 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 doing it at that level from behind the scenes. So that's how the, the Fourth Reich was able to uh, win the peace, if you like. Uh, the Third Reich lost the war, but the Fourth Reich won the peace by infiltrating the United States. And and so that's some of the background. And Maria Osic, in the midst of all of this, she then left Antarctica and then just resumed operations with the extraterrestrials that she has been affiliated with for a long time, uh, some call it the Galactic Federation of Worlds. And she's been working with this Galactic Federation of Worlds 
uh, ever since the Second World War peri- uh, period to kind of like contact people, to raise consciousness, and to help develop people's psychic abilities in various training programs where they would be taken up into the spacecraft. Now, that's what I know of Maria Osic. I, I don't know of her having any offspring, human offspring. I mean, that's news to me. I don't know of, of that. Someone claims to be uh, the daughter or granddaughter of Maria Osic. Uh, I would like to see any evidence of that. But uh, Maria Osic is, is definitely a very important figure in this big picture of what's been happening uh, behind the scenes. So so hopefully that's covered the different topics that you just um, listed for me. So unless I missed something, then I'm ready for uh, questions. Awesome, and thank you for that. Um, it looks like she's in the middle of doing a show herself, but if it's all right, I'll pass uh, her your email off to her so then you can do your vetting and um, hopefully you guys can do a show. That's great. I'm happy to do that. All right. Tonight, JW is going to take the questions. So anybody that has a question, if you press the middle blue button, it'll show us your hands being raised and uh, JW will call upon you in order. Thanks, Dr. Sala. I've been the one that's been emailing, emailing back and forth with you. So thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, looks like we have Pure Blood USA up first. Right. So I'm going to um, unmute you. Thank you so, Thank much. You so much. That was, that so, was so powerfully powerful. educational for me. Um, I just happened to jump on while you were speaking. I do hope they'll have you back. I was also wondering if you're going to post this recording to the um, channel because I would like to listen again to really take it in because my mind is blown on many things that you said. And you also confirmed many things that I have heard. And really so much that you said resonated with my spirit, with my soul is true. And so, and yet there's so much in happening that I simply... Whew, need support keeping up with. I'm sure there's others that might relate. There's just so much unfolding. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I live near Universal Studios, if anyone's familiar. We're safe and well here. Thank you. It is stressful. But could you repeat or maybe speak a little more on what you think will happen over the weekend um, into Monday? And based upon what you said, please forgive me and correct me, that perhaps something, if were it to happen to uh, the family, i.e. perhaps Charles, that that would unfold um, by this time next week. Is that correct? Thank you. Blessings. I, I didn't give uh, any kind of timetable for when this, when these uh, changes again happen. I, I think what well, one thing we know for certain is that the deep state does not want the U.S. elections to proceed in November, if if at all possible. That they they want to create a situation where those elections are called off or suspended indefinitely. And the way that they could do that is to create some kind of contingency 
like a UFO UAP attack by some unknown entity that is possibly extraterrestrial but is, isn't isn't known for sure because this is the way in which uh, the UAP phenomenon has been described so far and and the public in the United States is being gaslighted into believing these UAPs or underwater uh, phenomena are a national security threat. So that would be something that could be manipulated in contriving a false flag attack that is then blown out of all proportions in terms of its threat to the United States. And so that would be used as a justification for the Biden administration declaring that the United States is under attack by unknown actors. And so they could, he could declare a state of national emergency um, and, and the United States could go into some kind of war footing against some unknown actors, presumably extraterrestrial, but not known for certain. And it would be a very kind of like, very hazy, very kind of like nebulous enemy. But, you know, you look at it ever since 2001. I mean, the United States media has been pushing this kind of idea of of a nebulous enemy, like the war on terrorism. Well, how can you have a war on a concept? I mean, terrorism is a method. It's not it's not an actual entity, you know, like in in historically you declare war on entities, organized political institutions, and and that's how you would then be able to kind of like ward off that threat. But if you have some nebulous threat, such as some entity possessing advanced aerial or underwater craft that can that can threaten or or is attacking US facilities and you declare war on that, well then it's like, well, you're declaring a war on kind of like the, the UFO phenomenon. It's like uh, you're declaring war on these unidentified craft. If if a craft can't be identified, then it's it's an enemy. And so you could then justify this kind of military response. So I, I think we're kind of like probably going to see something like that happening in the lead up to November, uh, to the elections. And so the remainder of this month and October, my guess would be that they would likely move forward with some kind of contrived false flag attack involving UAPs, UFOs, and make it out to be a national or global emergency. And, And that would kind of like give the green light to not just the United States, but other countries to get their, to kind of bring, institute lockdowns, institute kind of like economic, uh, an economic um, contingencies to deal, to deal with the, the loss of jobs, the industry shutting down. Um, and so that would be their way to prevent this kind of revolution from happening that, I think has been seen, or that there's there's knowledge. Uh, Cliff High, that I'm sure many of you have probably heard of. He's the guy that studies webbots. He studies the 
these different patterns in the internet that indicate trending concepts and, and, and new ideas or what the future. So he's a kind of futurist that looks at internet trends and has these webbots out there pulling all this data, synthesizing it all so that then he can kind of like come up with a diagnosis of what is to come. So he and other futurists say that 2023 is going to be the year of global revolution. There's going to be a revolution all over the planet because people are going to wake up to the deep state. And we're already seeing that, you know, because of the COVID, because so many professionals now know that the whole thing was contrived. I mean, so many doctors, so many medical doctors who in 2019, before COVID hit, you know, wouldn't have given a second thought to the idea of a kind of global secret government that manipulates events to bring about predetermined outcomes. They would have dismissed that as conspiracy theory. Now, many medical doctors are saying pretty much the same thing. And so I think what we are in the midst of is a global revolution, that it's happening. So the deep state knows this. So the the only way that they can prevent this global revolution from happening, the only way that they can prevent this kind of red wave sweeping aside the democratic control of the US Congress is to contrive some global contingency. And I think that's what the UFO UAP threat is for them. Or that's that's how they're going to spin it. So that the UFO UAP phenomenon is going to be used to justify some kind of global attack. And so the deep state is going to try and hoodwink the public or gaslight the public into believing that this is real, but they're going to fail because there's just too many people that are aware of this plan. It's been around for a long time. Project Bluebeam is known by many people that this contrived alien invasion or alien rescue is something that is known by many. Uh, But nevertheless, the deep state is desperate. They're they're losing power rapidly. Uh, Their plans are not going to succeed unless they do something dramatic like this. So I think there's going to be a revolution. They are going to try and steer it, co-opt it. And I think this passage of the Queen and the ascension of Charles is significant of this revolution that's coming. Carolyn, you're up next for a question after Carolyn, Miss America. Thank you so much for the fascinating discussion and your insightful perspective. Um, I'm hoping you can explain a little more about what a space arc is and what purpose it serves and maybe what role it may play going forward, as well as um, given perhaps the space arcs are one piece of evidence of this, the vested interests that benevolent ETs have in our planet, your thoughts on the likelihood of them staying passive in the event of a false flag attack. Thank you. Well, space arcs are things that are talked about in various religious and cultural traditions all over the world. Uh, we know the story of Noah's Ark. There's a there's a there's a similar story in the ancient Sumer uh, called the uh, Atrahasis or the uh, the 
Enuma Elish also, not the Enuma Elish, but there's uh, the Atrahasis, Book of Genesis, and a total of about 120 different traditions talk about a great flood and of these arcs being used to evacuate people from the floodwaters and to rescue the animals. Well, well, that is the kind of historical record of space arcs. And these are very large extraterrestrial spacecraft that can come in and move a large amount of people and animals and vegetation at very short notice if there's a global emergency. And the thing is that our planet has gone through a history of cyclic catastrophes. Every 13,000 years ago, there has been, whether it's a micronova, whether it's a pole shift or some other global calamity that the Earth's surface becomes inhospitable for a short period of time and large numbers of people have to be evacuated, otherwise you know, they'll simply die. And those that are left somehow survive. Those that do survive uh, are the ones that kind of tell the stories. And those that went on the space arcs uh, eventually come back and they rebuild civilization. But they have the awareness of some of the advanced technologies that exist. So that's how uh, a society is able to rebuild itself or the planet's civilization is able to rebuild itself after devastating events. So, for example, if we say that the year 9600 was when there was a global catastrophe, because that's the date that Plato describes Atlantis as collapsing uh, into, or sinking into the ocean, that that was like a pole shift. These space arcs came along, took away large numbers of people. After the catastrophe, uh, the waters subside, planetary civilization kind of collapses and it has to rebuild again slowly over many, many centuries. And eventually the space arcs come back and the people on the space arcs then use their knowledge to rebuild society. So, you know, this is why in ancient literature you have like the Sumerian society coming like appearing overnight and similarly Egyptian society appearing overnight. And that's because the people that built the the first uh, Sumerian cities or Egyptian cities or the equivalent in China, that they were those that returned from these space arcs. So these space arcs, when they're not being used, they go dormant, they are submerged under oceans or under land. Or they, you know, they're able to go into underground locations uh, because they're able to kind of shift their frequency. And at a time like the present, when there's a possibility of global events that could like lead to the need for large numbers of people to be evacuated, then these space arcs begin to activate. 
And so this is why the Russians and the Ukrainians and the United States started to kind of like take great interest about this space arc in the Kherson region because it began activating and, and the Russians didn't want it to fall under the hands of the United States because they Russia recognises Ukraine as being under their sphere of influence. So they didn't, they didn't want the US to go in there, take control of this space arc and exploit the technologies within it. They wanted, wanted it for themselves. So that's why I think that they really launched this special operation. Thank you, Dr. Sala. Um, Miss America, you're up next. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Wonderful. Dr. Sala, thank you so much for joining us. I am a fan. Um, I'm going to try and keep this short because I could ask you a million questions. But um, one of those, I mean, I believe that the... I don't know what the correct terminology is. I, I don't. I believe they don't like to be called extraterrestrials, um, but I believe they've come to our planet for forever. I mean, there's paintings for thousands of years that depict them. So they've been coming here, and obviously, if they wanted to hurt us, they could have done that very easily already. So they're not here to hurt us. They are here to help us. In which way? My question to you is: Is that? Um, we obviously, as uh, certain human societies, they've they've built this image around that us traveling to the moon and going to other places. Do you believe that that's just for show, or that they're actually exiting the planet and going there? Well, there is a space program. There are multiple space programs, and. The the public space program, the one that we're all told about, involving NASA, and now, of course, there's Space Force and Space Command, and now that's becoming internationalized. So, so now you actually have combined space commands of uh, the, the major countries like the United States, Canada, Britain, France, Germany, Australia, that there are, they are all combining into unified space commands, and you have the Artemis Accords now. Um, and the Artemis Accords have been signed uh, with, there's, I think it might be as many as 30 countries now that have signed the Artemis Accords. These are bilateral accords with uh, the United States, with NASA in particular, where the signatories agree to cooperate in space activities so that they can commercially exploit space establish bases or mining projects in space and cooperate in defending those from any kind of uh, dangerous situations. So what we have in space right now is the beginning of what is going to be something like a Star Trek future where you have a, a kind of like increasingly unified global military command of course, that was called Starfleet in the Star Trek series. Uh, right now, it's, it's you, it can be called uh, uh, the uh, Unified Space Commands, and you you then have the the kind of like 
economic activities and the civilian activities in space, which are going to be regulated by different national space agencies, and and eventually uh, you you will you will have some kind of uh, kind of like representative entity set up to monitor uh, to regulate all of that. You know, because what happens if you have colonies in space? You have continued mining operations in space. Who's going to speak on behalf of those people? So this is where it's going to get very, very interesting. So there there are things that are happening as far as the public arena is concerned, which is using kind of conventional rocket propulsion technologies and is moving very, very slow. But you have also a secret space program or multiple secret space programs. Some of Some of them are run by... Militaries like the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy have their own separate space programs. Uh, then you have the intelligence community. Uh, the CIA and the National Reconnaissance have a, Office have their own space program. And then you have corporations with their own space programs. Uh, and these are all secret. And they and these use some of the classified technologies that have been withheld from the public arena for for many many decades. I mean, in the United States alone, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has denied or withheld patent applications for 6,000 inventions. National security orders are in place for 6,000 inventions. And these inventions have to do with anti-gravity, free energy, alternative healing, electrotherapy, all of these things that could kind of revolutionize the health industry, the transportation industry, that these things are, are, are held up in the patents application process according to national security orders. So they're all kind of like stifled and the inventors can't do a thing with those inventions. But what happens is that those inventions all get filtered into the secret space programs. And so these inventions are developed in the secret space programs and and that's all happening in this class, highly classified world. So what we are witnessing now is that this divide be, between the kind of like open source public space program and the classified secret space programs, the, 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 the kind of separation between those two is slowly being bridged because of Space Force, because of... U.S. Space Command, because the military says, okay, you know, we don't want this to be classified and under, under the control of the intelligence community and the corporations. Space is a warfighting domain. It is not a benign domain. So, therefore, it has to fall under the control of the U.S. military, and in particular, Space Force and Space Command. So, right now, we're witnessing uh, Space Force and Space Command aggregating and, and pooling civilian and military and intelligence space assets into some kind of unified uh, space program that they can control or have authority over in the case of some kind of future military struggle um, concerning space. And so this then brings brings me back to this idea of a false flag alien alien attack. Could it happen in space? Definitely. And, and I say that 
because uh, the CIA and the National Reconnaissance Office, they are very much assets of the deep state and they work closely with some uh, very nebulous corporate actors operating out of Europe that also have significant space assets. So these could very easily combine and use their resources to simulate some kind of space attack that could then be used to justify a new narrative that the Earth is under some kind of uh, nebulous space invasion. Uh, They don't even have to be clear whether it's extraterrestrial or some unknown entity, but that that we are under attack. So, so yes, uh, there's a lot happening in space, and yeah, this is going to be more and more important as the year unfolds and as we enter into 2023. Darren Swink, you're up next. Hello, Dr. Sala. How are you tonight? Good, thank you. Good. Hey, uh, I know a few months ago, I I love your webinars, by the way. Um, I definitely listened to all of them. I know here three or four months ago you had mentioned that that I guess the uh, Galactic Federation of Worlds kind of cleaned out all the, the, the bad alien civilizations, and they were trying to leave it up to the White Hats to clean up the rest of the deep state. Um, do you think the White Hats, one, have a game plan to go ahead and prevent uh, the deep state from maintaining control over the Earth? And if not, do you think that the Galactic Federation of Worlds will ever step in and try to help humanity? Well, what the Galactic Federation of Worlds did and other positive extraterrestrial organizations have done is that they have forced negative extraterrestrials to leave our planet. And and it wasn't so much because I think the Galactic Federation of Worlds had overwhelming military strength. It was because of these more evolved extraterrestrial civilizations that arrived in our solar system um, in October of 2021. Uh, They're called the Cedars or the, the Intergalactic Confederation. And they're kind of like umpires, if you like. They're kind of like they've come, they're here to observe what is going on on Earth. And right now, uh, the negative extraterrestrial threat has been largely neutralized. But what's left is the the, the former, well, the deep state. Uh, They have a lot of hybrids in them. Uh, They they have a lot of former minions of these extraterrestrials. And and, and some of these uh, minions... Uh, practicing Satanists, uh, they use black magic uh, because the lines, even though we think that there's a separation between science and religion, that's artificial. As far as the controllers are concerned, the deep state is concerned, there's no separation between magic and science. Uh, so they, they practice what we would consider to be black magic, which is using principles of magic and science for negative purposes. And so while the the extraterrestrials have been forced to leave, leave, and while some of these former kind of uh, minions and these top leaders within the deep state 
also left. They were offered some sanctuary or some agreement that if they left, they they would be given safe passage to another world in another galaxy. And apparently that is what happened. They, they went through a portal in Antarctica. But that still left a lot of kind of like uh, middle management type deep state figures because they saw that the, their extraterrestrial overlords had left. They saw that the top leaders of the deep state had left, that they'd taken a deal that had been offered to them. So where did this, where did this leave the, the kind of like uh, uh, the middle management guys? They, they knew that they would be the scapegoats. These would be the guys that if, once the truth came out, they would be the ones that would be recognized and identified as, uh, as as running all of these black operations and keeping the secrecy and manipulating societies and conducting all of these satanic events where children are exploited and so forth. So they have been fighting tooth and nail to hold on to power. Now, the White Hats, they do have a game plan, um, and their game plan is to raise public awareness, and that's what they've been doing. I mean, that's what happened with the Q movement. I mean, Q did a tremendous job in raising public awareness on a lot of these things. And you know, and Q, and I need to point this out, is that Q actually confirmed that extraterrestrials exist, that Roswell did happen, and that secret space programs are happening behind the scenes. So he confirmed all of that, or they confirmed all of that, as well as many other things about how the deep state operates, the Rothschilds, the Soros Foundation, uh, the Saudis, how how the mainstream media gets their talking points mailed to them at 4 a.m. in the morning. You know, all of these things were big revelations for millions of people around the world, and now they had a handle on how the deep state operates. So the deep state's been exposed. Uh, COVID uh, has raised consciousness tremendously. The, the false... Uh, this the, what's happening in Ukraine is also raising awareness as well. People realize that this war against Russia is, is totally unnecessary. It's contrived, and that that Russia really has been very restrained in in what in what they've done in response to this uh, coup in 2014 to try and bring Ukraine under the folds of NATO. Um, so a lot of people are waking up to that. And and so I think what's happening is that the deep state is being exposed every day as people wake up to what has been happening, that there has been this kind of global effort to su suppress civil liberties, to really manipulate the public by gaslighting them into believing these false narratives and the latest false narrative, of course, is that Russia is evil and in its invasion or its uh, military operation into Ukraine threatens European liberties and values and similarly, which is just total nonsense. People are waking up to that. And so now the deep states, its back is in a corner. And probably the only card it has to play is this false flag alien, alien invasion. And I think if it plays that, um, it it might scare a lot of people, but it'll just wake up a lot more people. And I think this is what what the White Hats are doing. They're just allowing the deep state to do this, to to go forward with these operations that just start to implode upon themselves and raise public awareness. And ultimately, uh, the White Hats are waiting 
for a point where they feel, okay, now it's the time for us to openly take charge. And so that's where you would have like, um, you know, the Northern Command or operating out of Cheyenne Mountain or the continuity of government program uh, would, would reveal itself and say that, okay, uh, the 2020 election was stolen. Here's the data. And this is what what has happened. And they would identify everyone involved in that. And 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 this would happen around the world uh, for those that did things like contrive the COVID uh, pandemic and the um, and bring about this confrontation with Russia and so forth. So you know, I think that's the game plan of the of the White Hats is essentially um, to kind of like give the deep state enough rope to hang itself with, and that's what we're seeing now. So even a lot of people are very kind of impatient, and they've like said, "Well, why don't the White Hats act? Why are they letting the deep state do this?" Now they they know that the deep state's days are done, that the deep state. Um, is going to lose, it's going to be exposed, and there will be this global revolution. And so the White Hats want to make sure that when this revolution happens, it's going to be based on the public identifying who the true culprits are. And that way, then the White Hats will come out and kind of steer this revolution in the right direction. Thank you, Dr. Sala. Um, Scott Erickson, you would you're um, you can ask your question next, and after Scott would be Michelle Scott. Scott Erickson. Hi, Michael. Hi, Scott. <sighs> My question is uh, related to the answer you just gave to the previous question, and uh, I think that your your uh, your summary is is uh, quite accurate. There have been some reports that they're still fighting at deep underground bases with remnants of uh, nefarious ETs, and that the the uh, cabal does seem to maintain uh, significant power and, and wealth. Uh, and, and leadership positions of almost all world um, institutions, including governments and, and religions and uh, academic, uh, even community organizations. Uh, to what extent um, are, is that based on real power or what? Or, or to what extent are they still being aided by perhaps some of these very powerful ETs that are, that are still hanging out in, in very unaccessible uh, deep underground bases? Well, what we do know is that these underground bases where they did a lot of these very dark things like hybrid experiments, um, exploiting children or genetic experiments or biological weapons programs or you could kind of run through the gamut of very dark projects, that these were deep state operations. Now, I know that some of these are being cleaned out. Uh, the, the extraterrestrial bases, the negative bases of, of well, the bases of negative extraterrestrials that were here to just perform harmful functions, I mean, those bases have been cleared out, uh, that this was the purview of the Galactic Federation and their partners. 
But with their exit, you still had a lot of deep underground military bases where you had the deep state that was working with some extraterrestrials um, and they were there by permission. So these were kind of like run by the deep state. So these were human. So this is where the Galactic Federation's um, charter kind of like precludes them from taking action uh, because, you know, their prime directive is that uh, if a world makes agreements with extraterrestrials, then, you know, though they cannot kind of like violate those agreements if if the agreements are done in a kind of conscious way. And, and, and the, the deep state did this. They, they made agreements with some of these negative extraterrestrials and that they are there in these deep underground military bases. And so the Galactic Federation and the other positive extraterrestrials are collaborating with the White Hats or the Earth Alliance, the, the positive militaries, to identify these locations and to explain what's going on there. And they're being slowly taken over. Uh, but but it is but it is a process, you know, because ultimately uh, we we have a lot of former minions who have a lot of resources, a lot of power, and that you know they are fighting desperately to maintain their power because they realise that there is no future for them in the world that is coming, and so they want to engineer something to maintain power, and to maybe engineer their departure. I mean, that's a possibility as well, that they could use their craft to manufacture some kind of alien rescue. This is one of the scenarios that one of my contacts has explained to me that this is a, this is a very real possibility that they're trying to engineer this. So, so there are many things that could still happen these underground bases are still being used by the deep states and uh, out of those uh, underground bases, or whatever ones they still control, they can use those for some false flag operation. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Um, Dr. Sala, before I move on to more questions, I want to respect your time. Do you, do you know about how much more time you can spend or how many more questions you can take? Uh, let's let's go for another well, to half past, half past the hour. So that would be uh, 8.30 your time, uh, central time. Okay, perfect. Michelle, you'll, you're up next. Hello, can you hear me? I can, yes. Hi, uh, uh, Michelle from Alaska. I don't have a question. All I want to say is how much I appreciate you and your wife and all the hard work you guys do. I stay in touch with Telegram and YouTube and Odyssey and Rumble, whatever I can find in here every day. And uh, Elena Danan as well. God bless you, Michael. Thank you, Michelle. And all right, Mountain Dream, you're up next. 
Yes, hello. Sorry about that. I need to get somewhere. Oh, um, my question is, do you believe that, um, or what's your thought process or or views on humans or Terrans being used as a form of activation for the arts? Thank you. Okay, that's that's a very very interesting question. Uh, that is something uh, some of my sources have talked about is that as these arcs activate, um, people who are linked to the arcs in some way that these arcs have pilots that the the crew is in these stasis chambers on these arcs and the crews have incarnated on the earth and that they are living today in human bodies and as these arcs activate the, the humans who are actually star seeds carrying the soul of the being that's in the arc the pilot that they are becoming cognizant of their connection with the arcs and that some of them can actually pilot the arcs that they have this this ability now I don't know what's going to happen in the months or years ahead when these arcs begin to start flying and appearing in the skies and the the humans carrying the the, the souls of the, the pilots go on the arcs. Now, I don't know what's going to happen there, whether the whether it's kind of like the the soul just transfers to the to the avatar on the arc or whether the human with the incarnated soul will, will just operate the arc that way? I mean, that's that's a very interesting question, but there definitely is a connection between many human starseeds who are waking up and as a result of these arcs activating and, and these humans waking up and, and, and in dreams or in whether it's teleportation or astral travel, somehow they are connecting with these arcs and that's kind of like, helping the arcs activate even more so. So there definitely is a very interesting process happening with these arcs. And I think this is going to be part of the incredible revelations that are going to come, is that these arcs are very ancient, that they are used, that they've been used in the past for planetary evacuations, um, but also have been used for helping bring about a technological renewal or uh, a restoration of a civilization. So in, in in our case on Earth, it would be very important for us to learn about these arcs in case in the future there is something like a, a micronova that could potentially lead to the Earth uh, being impacted by very powerful coronal mass ejections for a, a short period of time. So, you know, whether that leads to a need for an evacuation or whether the Earth could be protected in some way, I mean, that, that's kind of not, not very clear at this stage. But definitely I think the people who are the pilots of these arcs that are awakening, that they are going to play a very important role in both activating the arcs further 
and in in what's what's to come in case you know whether it's a planetary evacuation or whether it's just sharing the advanced technologies on the arcs with the with uh, the rest of human civilization to kind of bring about this kind of like technological renaissance Vlin Patriot Party Pod you're up next Hello, Dr. Sala. I'm going to turn my video on here because um, Mike specifically asked me to come in and meet you, introduce myself. Uh, I am Maria Orsic's great-granddaughter. I don't know if you're aware that Maria had a baby in 1923 and she hid her uh, with some friends of her family in Bavaria in Garmisch-Partenkirchen. And my grandmother was raised... Mm-hmm. Um, my um, grandmother my was, grandma. was raised uh, not realizing that she was Maria's daughter. Maria, she thought, was a friend of the family. And then Maria actually warned my grandfather's family, as my grandfather is the grandson of, grandson of King Ludwig of Bavaria, uh, Ludwig II specifically. So she warned my grandfather that Hitler was coming for their family or that the Reich was coming for their family and that they should get out of Austria. Uh, They did. And he actually came to the States, joined the army, the OSS, and went back to Germany and rescued my grandmother, who he married, and Maria. So in 1945, Maria left Germany, came back to the States, went to Tennessee, founded the Vril Society in Tennessee. Uh, She went back towards the end of, well, 1946, beginning of 1947, to try and rescue some of her friends. And she was shot in the back in the mountains of Bavaria, um, along the Juxtapets. But uh, yeah, I thought you'd like to know that. Thank you. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting. Well, there you are. There I am. Oh, yeah. So I look just like her. And I started to find this out. I didn't know who she was. When I was a kid, we were in Germany. Um, we were at the, so Ludwig had a series of mistresses all over Bavaria. And he built them all their own little individual castles, little mini castles. And he had a whole string of bastards, but never had any legitimate children as he died of syphilis before his wife could produce any heirs. Uh, so my family still has our castle, um, our little mini castle. And when I was a child, I used to play there and I learned to read German because I found this absolutely fascinating journal. It was Maria's journal and told the whole story. I was 10, so I didn't put all of it together uh, until more recently, but I have a eidetic memory. So I remembered everything that I read. And when I came across her picture online two years ago, I, I looked at my husband. I said, why is there a picture of me online? And he said, that's not you. I mean, it's you, but it's not you. Look at the date. And it was from 1929. Uh, It's actually my profile picture on Twitter, which was how Mike found me in the first place. And uh, I asked my mom, who is this? And she said, that's my grandmother. She said, my two grandmothers, one was a red-haired Hungarian witch and the other was a black-haired Romanian witch. So uh, yeah, there it is. 
Maria did, however, build the first anti-gravity drive. Uh, I've seen the original plans for it in her handwriting. Um, but she did not escape this planet. Well, I would definitely uh, like to kind of like find out more about uh, any kind of um, memories or any kind of documents or anything that you have about uh, Maria from your, your mother, um, because that would be very helpful. Because I know that there's very little information about Maria Orsic. So there's a, a French author, Maximilien Lafayette, and you probably know of him. He wrote this two-volume series of books on Maria Orsic. And so that's kind of like uh, one of the, the few sources that actually talks about Maria. And, and he did talk about the kind of uh, army military intelligence files, which kind of would indicate that they knew about Maria. Uh, maybe they had Maria in custody for a while. Um, you know, that if she was in Tennessee, that would be kind of fascinating. I'm, I'm now living in, in Tennessee. So that would be really interesting yeah. to find out. So I'd like yeah, to... The Royal Society is, is still yeah. active in Tennessee. Yeah. So, yeah, just, uh, you know, whatever you have, share that because I, I just was not aware that uh, Maria Orsic had any children on Earth, as far as I knew from my sources. She she escaped from Antarctica into space and joined her space brothers and sisters. Most people, um, most of the inner circle, the Vril, even the Vril Society didn't know that her baby was still in Germany. They actually thought that she went to the Caribbean and she was sent to uh, the West Indies um, because she hid my grandmother that thoroughly. She was terrified, but thought that she could help was what I got from her journal. Um, she was terrified at the potential of what she saw coming, but she, with the information that she had with what she was able to channel, and a lot of her journal is channeled writing. It is still in Germany. Um, I've, I've been trying to reach out to my family, but it's rather difficult over there right now. Um, most uh, everything is shut down pretty hard. But, uh, but uh, she was terrified of what she saw coming. And the one thing my grandfather always told me was that uh, everything that we were told was a lie. All the history that we were taught was a lie that the the Nazis didn't lose and they weren't the Nazis, they were the Reich. Um, they, they didn't lose, that they just went underground. And I thought he meant virtually underground, as it were. In fact, it was, they went physically underground um, in, from Antarctica. And I, I have the coordinates for the location for how they get down in Antarctica. Um, but uh, that they would be coming back and that it would be up to us to end it once and for all. And here we are. Well, well, thanks for sharing that. I definitely would like to to learn more about about you and uh, if, if you got the journal of uh, your, your mother. <laughs> I, I wish like I had that. the journal, but yeah, I've uh, I've reached out to my cousins in Germany and asked asked them. I know exactly where it is in the castle. It's kind of hidden, but um, if they can follow my directions and find it, then hopefully they'll be sending it to me. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Absolutely. But thank you for your time and uh, appreciate all your work. Thank you.
Interdimensional, you're up next. Hey, Michael. I just wanted to say thanks for everything you and your wife do. I've been following you for a while. Uh, like the other woman, I don't have any questions. I don't want to take anything. I just wanted to give you my appreciation. Well, thank you, Interdimensional. Appreciate it. And Andrea, it looks like you'll probably be our last question. Oh, I feel so lucky right now. Thank you very much. Um, I actually wanted to go back to the ARCs one more time. And I know you're JP and Elena, and you have many sources, but I'm wondering, um, you know, I know that genetically or your DNA has to match up with one of these ARCs. And if there's a cataclysmic event, um, I suppose there's not going to be a spot for everyone on the arcs, or is there, or will there be more that come because they're stationed, you know, off the coast of Saturn or off the planet Jupiter or something like that? Um, I'm just curious as to what you know about that. Sure. Well, you know, these arcs, uh, you have a lot of star seeds all over around the planet. I mean, there's a, is about uh, 200 million star seeds all over the all over the planet, which sounds like a lot, but that's probably only uh, that's about 2.5 percent of the, the world's population of eight billion. So there's a lot of star seeds. And there's a few arcs, and they're very large, and they can take a lot of people. Now, the, the frequency of the arcs is specific to the crew who can activate and run the arc. But that crew would be essential for them taking the arc into an operational mode. At the moment, these arcs are kind of like static. I mean, they're dormant. They're being activated because the uh, intergalactic Fleet, the Cedar fleet has arrived. They've activated, and the uh, the pilots of the arcs have incarnated, and they're amongst the population. So once once these pilots awaken, um, at, at a certain point, they'll be taken into the arcs because the arcs respond to them. And the white hats in the military want to take these people to the arcs, and this is what's happening with JP. I mean, my source JP, he's a he's a contactee. And uh, he's being taken into the arcs because uh, the positive military wants to learn how to use these arcs, you know, to get the technologies and in case they need to use the arcs to evacuate large numbers of people, that the arcs are there. Because, you know, the, the conventional or the, the White Hats, their secret space program, they don't have the craft to take you know, let alone hundreds of thousands, or let alone millions. Um, you know, maybe they could take a few thousand people on their craft. But if you're talking about taking millions, tens of millions of people, or even more, you would need these space arcs uh, to be active. So you have the crew of the space arcs who are being activated. Uh, they will know how to fly these space arcs. And now, as for people, uh, you know, you have two categories. You have the Star seeds, who who vibrationally will be drawn to one or more arcs, or they will be drawn to different extraterrestrial visitors. Um, that they will 
help the extraterrestrial, you know, the Cedars themselves, the Galactic Federation, the Ashtar Command, all these groups are around, they're watching. If there was a planetary emergency, they could easily come and you know, a lot of star seeds could be taken up to write out the emergency. And, the, and then you have uh, those that aren't star seeds whose who's kind of first, well, this might not be their first incarnation on Earth, but that in terms of this universe or this third density reality, uh, the Earth is their first port of call, that they only know the Earth. So other worlds uh, frighten them, which is why a lot of people are so, resi- are so against the extraterrestrial topic because it, it frightens them. Because, you know, for the star seeds who have many lives on other worlds and know all about star starships. I mean, it's almost like going home. You want them to come. But for the other 97.5% of the population who aren't star seeds, extraterrestrial life uh, is very intimidating. And while some might have open minds, others might be terrified of this. So when it comes to the space arcs being activated, and if there's a need, you know, the star seeds, there won't be any problem. They'll they'll go go on the on the arcs or go on to the ships of the cedars or the Federation and so forth. Um, and then you're gonna have uh, the other ninety-seven point five percent of the population. Uh, many of them will kind of like maybe you know, get the courage to like go on the arcs if it's necessary, if um, if they're able, so you know, so the arcs will accept them, you know, on the basis of you know, how vibrationally uh, they kind of like resonate. Like what vibrational energy do they do they resonate? I mean, if if you have like a psychopathic killer who's like, oh yeah, I want to go on one of these arcs, you know, I want to get up there and no problem, uh, you know, they, they will have a new 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 place to kind of exploit. Well. You know, the arc's energy will not allow people of such low vibration to come onto that craft. So as long as you're vibrationally kind of like meet the the minimum requirement, then you can come onto the craft. But, of course, people that vibrationally are able to enter the craft, you know, it's still going to be a free will choice for them. Thank you so much. That was that was the answer that I'd love to hear. I appreciate it. That's a great way to end it, Dr. Sala. Um, if you want to share your information where everyone can con or you get see your videos or get all your information of your books and, um, we can, and, and hopefully you'll come back again for another speaking and Q and a. Okay. Well, thank you for the invitation. Uh, so people can just go to my website, exopolitics.org. I, all of my articles, all of my podcasts, uh, you know, that's the, the main protocol there. I mean, you can go there. I mean, there's multiple platforms where I put out the interviews now and the articles. So uh, exopolitics.org is a good place to go. I'm doing another webinar. It's on on uh, Saturday, September 24th. It's going to be uh, titled uh, The Second Coming. And I'm going to be looking at some of the literature about what the second coming stands for today, some of the uh, ways in which people expect this 
second coming to unfold and look at it from the perspective of extraterrestrial life and you know what the second coming means in terms of extraterrestrial visitors and i think that's going to be a really fascinating topic so people can find out more by just going to exopolitics.org so so thank you jw uh, thank you uh, mike for having me on your telegram channel thank you so much we're honored to have you and once again I'll be reaching out to hopefully have you back again because there's so many questions. You have so much knowledge. So we kind of just touched the tip of the iceberg tonight. But thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Aloha.